The year 1953, a plane touches down at Smithies Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. G'day, g'day, this is Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid and you're listening to the All Australian Music Stories. This episode is on thought-provoking musician Billy Field. Billy wrote some memorable hits in the 1980s with songs such as Bad Habits and You Weren't In Love With Me. Billy's music has been covered by international superstars such as Mick Fleetwood and David Lee Roth. Having first found success as a bass player with hit schoolboy psychedelic rock band King Fox, Then, as a solo artist, Billy would go on to achieve incredible chart-topping success. I hope you enjoy listening to the career of Billy Field. Tonight 
Today I'm talking with Billy Field, one of the few musicians to be able to fuse jazz and pop and have commercial success. Thanks for talking with me today, Billy. Well, nice to be here, Sean. Nice to see you. So you grew up on a farm in, in near Wagga Wagga. Did you ever dream that you could uh, you could share the stage one day on the same bill as someone like Frank Sinatra? <laughs> well, I didn't really grow up on the farm. I spent my early years on on the farm in uh, sheep station in the Riverina, uh, which is about 100 miles west of Wagga. And then when when we were young, our family moved to Sydney. But then I went to boarding school more or less straight after that. And then in the holidays, I, I spent in the country. So I was sort of in boarding school and lived in Sydney, but also I spent a lot of time in the country all my childhood, you know, working with the sheep and cattle in all, when I wasn't at school, basically. So how did music come into your life? Basically, when I heard the Beatles, I just thought it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, And I was... Uh, in boarding school at the time and there was a, a boy there that um, sort of purloined me a bass guitar and I got into playing a bit of bass guitar and um, you know just learning the 12 bar blues myself and um, and very fortunately um, my mother and father knew this David King's mother David's mother said oh my son plays the lead guitar <laughs> you know so so um, I said, you must meet him and everything like that. And then the first time I met David, you know, we sort of hit it off. And he's a very bright cookie, you know. Um, he actually owns King Furniture, which is huge, huge sort of massive global furniture out, out thing now. And he still plays and, you know, we're still mates. And he's a great songwriter and a great singer, but he decided to go into business. He decided, you know, it's better to have money than not to have <laughs> anyway, so um, we just hit it off, and uh, he had a, another guy he was playing with from Sydney High, and then they knew a, a guy from another school, you know, near near us, and so there was a, a drummer and a keyboard player, and I sort of got, got the short straw and played the bass. <laughs> <laughs> and this is King Fox was formed. Yeah, and um, we used to just get together on the on the weekends, and uh, you know, me Sunday afternoon, we <laughs> some unsuspecting parent that would let us do a band practice at their house, and of course, all the kids would come around, and like we were like fourteen and fifteen, you know, and but it was a lot of fun, and uh, I was absolutely hopeless, you know, <laughs> the other guys were pretty good. <laughs> so when did it finally start to click for you guys? Well, then um, someone or other in the band decided to enter us in a, in a competition for band competition. I think it was the New Sounds of '69 or something like that. And then and we went and did a recording. Um, actually, prior to that, one of the boys' uh, parents organised for us to do a little recording session, and we recorded four songs, and they were actually very very nice, you know. Um, and uh, then we went in this recording competition, and Martin Erdman recorded Unforgotten Dreams, and then. You know, there was a release and it was a bit of a hit. I think it went to top 10 or somewhere, top 20. And uh, so that sort of got us on to doing some gigs and we did some of those big open-air concerts and played at at, at parties and school dances. <laughs> it, was, it was all very childish, really, but it was a lot of fun, you know. And, um, you know, we didn't even drink or anything in those days. You know, there was no drugs, no alcohol. It wasn't much, you know, it was just rock and roll. It was pretty pure
put a modern day spin on it you guys were virtually the, the silver chair of of that time um as in a, a school a band that that got their start for a radio station talent yeah. competition and then all of a sudden unforgotten dreams as you well, said is racing up the chart well that's right it was ward that beautiful ward austin you know bessie's heart who's now died promoted the band and said oh these guys are great and i put on the radio well, in those days if you were on the radio and tv you know that was really something so Ward, Ward was just great. And all, everyone, particularly Donnie Sutherland, he's a fabulous guy. He's been great to all the musicians. So is, you know, Molly and Countdown and all those sort of guys. I mean, um, I'm sort of not really, I haven't really been too connected to all of the commercial side of the business. In fact, I'm totally disconnected because I'm just following my muse. You know, there's so much music that I'm interested in and uh, studying, um, you know, whether it's jazz standards or pop standards, writing a few songs, recording a few songs, doing a few gigs. So I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not really after the money. I was a bit ambitious for a short while there, 
<laughs> I must have been out of my mind. You know, there's, there's too much enjoyment to be had, you know, in the music and playing, uh, you know, playing around. I've been playing uh, with a jazz duo uh, for a long while um, and we've been playing like a lot of, he's a wonderful jazz singer, a fellow called Ron Philpot, a wonderful bass player, really, he's a genius really, he's one of the greats. Um, so I've played a lot with him playing standards and some rock and roll, just piano bar, we've done a lot of that. And, you know, just in the last 20 years or so, and uh, so now I'm just getting back into doing some some band gigs and I'm doing, I'm, and I'm just doing rock. I'm, I've got it's called the Billyfield Rock Band. I've sort of decided to leave the the uh, you know the jazz standards alone. Uh, what do you say? I had some big muck muck record executive in my recording studio once <laughs> down there recording in excess or some you know rock band that was there at the time, and and I remember he said to me, "Losers love jazz," you know. That's a, that's a sort of commercial, the record business attitude. But I'm not really much of shakes as a jazz player. I'm just sort of a punk jazz player, and um, but I love it, you know, and um, and I enjoy doing it. And but the trouble is, there's so much repertoire, and, and you just um, you know, when you're performing, you just can't do so much. So now I'm just doing, and I've gone completely the other way. You know, I'm doing Brown Eyed Girl and Bright Side of the Road, and you know, She Loves You. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I just love it. They just love those songs and um, beautiful songs. Yeah. As you said, it's about the music and you would be what would be described as obviously a troubadour, a, a piano man, a, a, a man that lives and breathes music. And you, you left Australia at one stage early on in your career and you went to New Caledonia just playing music. How how was that trip? Well, that's what really set it up for me because um, when the, you know, I, I, the King Fox thing, we made a record and... You know, I just didn't get on. Like, I loved all the guys personally, but I just didn't like the the attitude of you know um, possibly one or two. And I thought, you know, this, you know, and I don't want to be in a situation where you get some guy with with a bad attitude that's gonna be that's gonna ruin everything, either musically or you know, dare I say, business wise. You know, so I just couldn't sit going anywhere, and I got an opportunity to go and study. Uh, a degree in business administration. I'd, prior to that, I'd, I'd, I'd done some study after I left school in accountancy, and uh, which which I still don't understand. <laughs> even though I studied it for years, I still didn't even know you know which side the debit and the credit is. <laughs> but anyway, so then I went and studied commerce degree for a couple of years, and then my father died, and so I ended up back on the sheep station. Oh yeah, and when I got back to the sheep station, I'd been there for about a year, and a friend of a friend who was managing a hotel up in New Caledonia, said, um, we've got a piano there. Why don't you come up and play piano in the bar f- for a month? And so I, so I was working on the sheep station with my brother, who's a wonderful guy who's great with livestock and everything. He knew everything about you know livestock and everything. So, so I just said, well, I'm going to go up there. F- uh, he didn't mind. So I went up there for a month, and then the guy said, stay for another month, and stay for another month, and went on and on. And I was there for ages. And I was sort of learning to play the piano, I wasn't very good. I was just playing the piano and singing songs that I liked, you know. So where did the piano come into it? Is that the first time you... No, I'd always been dabbling with the piano. and You know, like um, I had a few piano lessons when I was a child, but I wasn't, I wasn't very good at it. I've always had... I'm not really a, a, a great reader. I read music a little bit. Um, I only read it when I have to. But I'm, like these professional guys, they can read anything straight away. 
Whereas I'm a very slow reader, and and that really is uh, um, holds you back, you know. So I just sort of got into playing by ear, and I've just mainly played by. I'm an ear musician, not an eye musician. <laughs> So with with King Fox, there was a uh, I suppose a, a myth or a a story that came around that the band you, you're racing up the charts and you 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 had an album to go seven oh two oh seven um, and it was ready to go and a few of the guys failed their their end of year exams and the couple of the parents put a, a squash on the band is is that an urban myth or is well, that that well, actually sort of happened? That, that's um, that's partly true, but. It, that was when I left the band. Okay. So that put a bit of a kibosh on it. Well, at that stage, David, who was the lead guitarist, who was integral to the band because he was the lead guitarist, he decided to play bass. Well, that was that was a bad move because he was the front man. Uh, you know, it'd be like getting Jimi Hendrix and saying, okay, Jimmy, you, you, <laughs> you can play the tambourine up at the back of the band, you know? Yeah. So when I went to uh, do study commerce, David played bass and... And he's good, you know. He's he's a good musician, David. He's an, he's a very smart guy, super smart. But it, you know, the, I was I actually I wasn't a great. I was I'm like I think of myself or a little bit, or I'd like to think of myself a little bit like Chaz Chandler, the the bass player in the in the Animals. Chaz Chandler wasn't the greatest bass player in the world, but he was perfect for the Animals, and I was good for King Fox. So, um, you know, the bass player is a really important part of the sound of the band, you know, and uh, how they play and where they put it. So. The band without David as a lead guitar player and possibly, you know, dare I say, possibly without me as a bass player, it had a different sound and it, and, and uh, two or three of the guys went back to school to repeat. They were all smart guys, but, you know. You can't live the rock and roll lifestyle and uh, be a school student and, and both aren't going to come out on top, are they? Oh, no, you know, Nanny, but... but you know, we weren't living the rock and roll style. I don't think we'd even had a drink at that stage. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we made up for it. We've all made up for it. That may have helped you guys along the way, being clean cut and uh, just yeah. – so it was a very mean rock we were Ross. Bon Scott or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was virtually – the King Fox ride was virtually over before it began, really. You guys released a single that was very yeah. successful and then – that was it. Sort of faded out very quick. Yeah, and then we we did put out one or two other things and a song that I wrote, which wasn't very good. And uh, and what but, was that know, called? It was called uh, Jenny Gray. Yeah, it was a dreadful little thing, really. But <laughs> <laughs> the um. But I was always, you know, we're creative guys. We're all, you know, creative. I mean, David designs all the furniture for King Fox himself, uh, for King Furniture, and, and Paul, the other guitar player, is a super smart, creative guy and you know, highly educated parents. And um, the other guys all got professional parents. You know, they're pretty, they're pretty privileged. You know, we were all privileged, um, uh, went to very good schools, and we're lucky in that regard. And and that helped because you know when even when I was in boarding school there was virtually a cupboard downstairs outside the dining room. I mean it was a cupboard where they had an old bomb piano in there. But at least I could go in there and and plonk away on the piano was when I was in boarding school. So you know I was playing a bit of piano and um, I find playing the piano easy. I mean it's just to me it's it's always been. I'm not a great piano player, but I, I've sort of lucky enough to be able to play what I want to play without it too much trouble. You know. It's well remember if I can remember everything. 
as a piano player, you're up there with the uh, the select few that's had had real commercial success. You've had people along the time, such as your Jay Justins and your Jade Hurley, of course Peter Allen. Oh but man, then, I don't go near those guys. Jade Hurley is fantastic. But and as far Peter as Peter Allen was a great piano player too. What a singer! Woo, fantastic. They're both both of those guys are I put on the highest pedestal. No, I'm not in their liga. I just sort of bash away, you know. I'm a, I'm a sort of a paddock basher, you know, a bit of a <laughs> pub guy, you know, really. Not that I'm disagreeing with you, but you do hold a place in, in Australian music history as one of the, the few people, as I said, to, to fuse jazz and pop and, and to bring up a, a song like Bad Habits that will forever be played, you know, long after you and I are gone. It's a song that'll just have its own lifetime and it'll just, it'll be around for a long time. Well, the Bad Habits album is not that much credit to me. Um, I mean, the, Tom Price and I wrote most of the songs together. Tom was a guy whose sister was a friend of my brother's. And, and Tom is another extremely intelligent, highly educated guy and gorgeous man. He is too. I mean, really, I love him, loved him to death. So, um, and he's back in Australia now. He was born in America, and it, but he went back to America and worked in Nashville as a music producer. The, the thing about Bad Habits is that Tom and I wrote some good songs. They're not brilliant, but, you know, they're okay, Bad Habits. And since I found out about you, and it was all pretty quick, though. I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, um, we wrote those songs, Bad Habits. I'm sure we wrote it in 20 minutes. And what was the writing process? Were you playing the well, piano or he yeah, the lyrics? Yeah, he or? Played, you see, because he played guitar. He could also play the violin. He played violin on Bad Habits' album, actually. Um, but, uh, the, you know, we would sort of, um, it's, it was a bit methodical, I have to admit, you know, we would come up with a set of chord changes and then a title and, you know, the, what the idea of the song was. And then, then I would just vamp, vamp the melodies and the lyrics. And, um, but, um, and, but then of course, I mean, if you heard the song of Bad Habits that before it was arranged and recorded, you you would die. It's just, you know, you think, oh my God, that's the most terrible thing I've ever heard in my life. Because we're just going plonk, 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 ding, 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 help myself, bad habits here, with the drum machine going ding, ding, ding. But when um, we were very lucky to get Bill Motzing, bless his soul, it's his photograph here on my wall there, who um, did the arrangement for Bad Habits. And, and I'd done three or four bunches of Nemo's a song, of my songs, you know, um, not with Tom, but of my own work and they weren't very good because I wasn't smart enough to be able to arrange them properly but when we did that recording session you know again sometimes you can be lucky the bad habits thing just went down in I can remember you know doing the counting I'm thinking it's around uh, Mac the knife bull the buck yeah. Writing out one, two, and you know, and then, the, and but the musicians after I did the count was just terrific, you know, and, and that was basically the live, you know, the live vocal. I patched a couple of little bits, but um, it just had the magic, and I thought, for the first, and, and then when the horns, we did the horns as well, and uh, I heard it, heard the playback, I thought, wow, you know, we've got something, it's the first time in my life I've got something when you play it back, I don't hate it. <laughs> So that's bad habits.
But the thing about Bad Habits, which is extraordinary, is that the lyrics are very good. And that, that is very much to do with me, because um, there's a lot of my creativity in the ideas and, and the lyrics and the turns of phrases. I think that was the strength that I brought to that album. And, and Tom, of course, brought his musical intelligence, and it was a kind of a concoction. And then that's why the Lennon-McCartney songs or the Baccarat David songs or the Mac Gordon and Harry Warren songs or all the Jimmy Van Heusen and... and um, uh, Goodness gracious, Sammy Khan songs and uh, Oscar Hammerstein, Rogers and Hart, you know, all these, it's, this collaboration makes something much better always, you know, if you've got two guys that have got a collaborative attitude. So, yeah, nearly all of the greatest songs ever written were written by two guys, you know, and Billy Joel's a bit of an exception. Um, he's written a lot of great songs on his own and um, so have a few other people, but by and large, all the greatest songs ever written were uh, were collaborations, I think, you know. 
Oh, well, there's Cole Porter, of course, who's the king. He, he's, they're, they're not collaborations. He's a genius. Cole Porter's the absolute pinnacle of the pinnacle of, of the popular song, you know, theatrical, musical comedy, musical musicals. Well, Richard Rogers is in there too, but it's, Richard Rogers only wrote the music. And you've got Elton John. Uh, yeah, Elton yeah. and Bernie, of course. Yep. I mean, Bernie's a fabulous lyricist, and Elton is just, oh, he is just up beyond the beyond. I mean, there's nothing like Elton, no one. Well, um, Elton would have to be the Elvis of piano players, really, when you're looking at the, the top oh, of the Oh, he makes Elvis he... sound like a schoolboy. I mean, <laughs> Elvis played three-chord songs, and he's a good singer, and he had a great act. He knew, knew how to shake his moneymaker and look at the girls and do his hair right. And No, he's terrific. Don't get me wrong. Elton's fan. Uh, Elvis was terrific. But Elton is a genius. I meant more popularity-wise, as 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 far as a uh, someone who plays the piano, Elton would be the. Uh, and, and and you mentioned Billy Joel for that commercial success, but in Australia, yeah, but they're both classically trained. They're both highly educated, musically educated guys, yeah. and they can really play. Um, unlike myself, you know, I'm just as I said, I'm just a paddock basher. Well, and well, as I said, you can get people who can be can play the the, the most notes or the yeah. the most classically trained musician. Or you can you can be a musician who writes music that grabs the the heart of the public, and you did that because Bad Habits it reached number four on the charts, it was a, an Australian wide success, and then you backed it up with uh, You weren't in love with me. Standing on the outside, I don't know where I'm going to, but I do know just one thing. It's over with you I've been very lonely I did not think I could go out I was caught in memories And dreams I should have won Blind Freddy knew that Blind man could see in love with you But you weren't in love with me Suppose I'll have to keep it Keep it in sight I don't know why Well I know That won't change it But baby it helps if I cry
Amazing song, and it, and it's still it, it keeps getting covered by by musicians, and, and it finds a new generation. But it all always comes back to you, your vocals, again. And and you said before, you know, you just you're, you're a paddock basher, but your vocals on on bad habits is what makes it. I always think of a um, you, know, you mentioned Cab Calloway or all that, but I I hear like a a bit of a Satchmo sort of uh, a Satchmo vibe to your your vocals when you're graveling away. And well, yeah. I mean- one of my favourite singers of all time was Delilah. I think she's like possibly the greatest jazz singer Australia's ever had, you know, along with Vince and Vince Jones and one or two others. But I said, you know, how do I get this croakiness out of, out of, out of my voice? She said, that's just your voice, you know. Like, it's just unfortunately I'm always trying to get it clean. Um, sometimes I do, but it's just um, it's probably from overuse. Sometimes if, you know, if I'm careful, you know, it's not overdone. It can be really nice and clean, you know. I try to get it clean, but it's just a bit rough. <laughs> but the, the, that's what I was saying. I think the public likes the uh, the gravel, and 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 that's a part of the the Billy Field sound. Is you you don't have to sing like a choir boy to cut through. Yeah, well, it comes out different every day. <laughs> <laughs> just depends on how you're feeling. But I'll tell you what. Um, I was only thinking today that how much more deeply I feel the sad songs than I ever did, you know. Um, you get older, you know, they have they have more depth to them, you know, those really sensitive songs. And um, and unfortunately, I'm I, I'm a pretty heavy guy. I'm write, you know I write heavy songs and I and I get heavy, you know. And but I you know I'm doing a lot of flipping stuff at the moment too, you know. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, so we you yeah, weren't in love with uh, me went triple platinum and and that's amazing success on that that bad habits out the the single was called bad habits and the uh the album was called bad habits and again he, it went triple platinum yeah. and you at that stage were were one of the biggest stars in australia you had your own tv special shows with the with people like jeff harvey and harvey and the channel nine orchestra and some some of the songs that you put into the uh the australian psyche at that time the the early eighties, you were one of the biggest performers in Australia. You played to the uh, sold out uh, Maya Music Bowl. Um, you toured the world. You played Europe, America, Japan. You must have felt that you were you're getting somewhere as a musician. I've always felt hugely inadequate, and I just just press on. You know, I just I've had uh, terrible, a lot of terrible performances, and uh, so you know I've just been trying to do my best. You know, like everybody else in this world, we we can only do our best and. The thing about really about my work is um, the sentimentality and the emotions that are in it, and dare I say, in some cases, the intelligence in what I say. It's like um, I I really really admire George Harrison and Barry Gibb. You know, there's very 
I'm that kind of a songwriter. I'm a very emotional person, and the songs are very emotional, and and uh, and that's that's kind of the essence of what I where I am at. You know, we are people. We're just we're not black, white, brindle. We're not Muslims or Catholics or bloody anything else. We're just people. We're just humans, and we need to stop thinking of other humans as anything different than humans, and give them the same kind of uh, love and care and respect that that we do for our most beloved people and, and, and treat them with kindness and courtesy for everybody. And you can travel, all, and I've traveled all over the world extensively. I mean, I'm a huge fan of travel because you learn a lot and people, um, everywhere you go, people are nice. You get a flat tire, they help you change your tire. You ask them which way to go, they help you. They say, would you like to have some food? Would you like to stay the night? People are just fantastic. And we allow the system to divide us into tribes. And then it's called multiculturalism. And it's called, you know, we are, you know, Muslims or we are Jews or we are Christians or Catholics. And it's absolute bullshit. We're just people. We're just human beings. We all have the same feelings. So, you know, I try to express that in my work. And then, you know, and, and also that, you know, we've got to love each other and stop dropping bombs on people. It, makes, it only makes things worse. As John Lennon said, it'd be nice if someone uh, started a war and nobody turned up. At, yeah. But- well, of course, John Lennon's the, he's the revolutionary. He's revolutionary. He's, he's a far greater revolutionary than Karl Marx or even Gandhi, because he actually was able to get into the Western consciousness of many, many people. Sure, not everybody, sadly, because unfortunately people are so badly propagandized. Basically, this is just mad. What the hell are we doing going to Syria and bombing people? It's insane. So there's no reason. Oh, it's ridiculous. And it's as a human race, we haven't we haven't learned. But with well, John music- Lennon was the guy that that was able to, for the first time in history, tell everybody stop harming other people in foreign lands. And know? and through music, that cuts through to people. It's it's like um, He's a genius. John John Lennon is, is the quintessential genius artist. There's no artist in history, and it's it's just incredible. And Still, people don't realize it. And in actual fact, it's not just John. It was also, as I said, we were talking about collaboration earlier on. It's Yoko was the influence that Yoko had on him and the support she gave him to have the courage to get out there. Lennon said before he met Yoko, he wanted to be the next uh, Tom Jones. You know, he wanted to be the biggest act in Vegas. He wanted to be the next Elvis. He loved Elvis, you know. He, loved, he, wa- he wanted to be a rock star. He was a rock star. But basically, I don't know whether it was him, what did it, but he then became a peace activist, and I'm very much, very, very heavily influenced by him. And I hope, and I, one day, I hope everybody is. Well, he used his music to better the world, and and at his own yeah. expense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he probably, you know, his, his records didn't sell after that, and of course, he was going to get shunned by the media and the establishment because he wasn't propagandizing. You know, the bullshit that they tell everybody, the lies, the dishonesty of what the system is telling everybody all the time. You know, we're talking politics, but then you're in the music industry and it's a, um, it's it's obviously a very political world that the, the music industry and the, the commercial side of the music industry. And for a, a, a moment there, in, in as I said, in the early 80s, for probably a two or three year period, you were one of the, the, main, the mainstays of, of the industry. And you've you've had an album that had a, a number four hit, then a number one hit with "You weren't in love with me," and that song, as I said, "You weren't in love with me." The first opening couple of chords, the the when you hear the the first few lines, standing on the outside, and 
it's it's a song that again like bad habits will be continued to be played long after you and I have gone and it's found a new generation it was uh brought back into into the the uh the populace I suppose you would say um on on the Australian Idol with Courtney Murphy did you know that they were going to re-release that song as a as a single? No, no. So you just all of a sudden people your phone's ringing again, or you're, yeah. you're you're getting a bit of interest and you're thinking, well, where is this coming from? So, um, but bands such as the Whitlams, Pete Murray, even even an amazing artist such as Mick Fleetwood recorded that song. So to to have a song that just cut through like that, it, as a, as an artist, it must be a satisfying feeling. Well, to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter to me in the slightest. It really, you know, it's nice. It makes some bucks, you know, it pays the rates. The end of the day, um, it doesn't matter in the slightest because to me, I was ambitious. Now I'm only ambitious to create something that's that's really good. And I do, and, I, and, I've, and I'm quite happy with a lot of my work because, as I say, I can express... Um, you know, I now have a little studio here. I can record what I like, and some of it's absolutely magic. And I think to myself, wow, well, you know, that's good. That to me is the litmus test, whether, whether I like it. And trying to create something beautiful that says something in, as I said, coming back to Barry Gibb, in simple terms, in simple terms, you know, just says something like very simple, like, you know, be nice to everybody all the time and everyone will get on fine. You know, it's not genius, but it's genius, and that's why I love Barry Gibb, and and particularly at the moment, I'm I'm playing a lot of um, George Harrison stuff because he's just so soulful. His his lyrics and his songs are just they're mind-blowingly beautiful. He was so overshadowed by McCartney and Lennon, and yet he's an absolute genius. You know, songs like "I Me Mine" and songs like um, "Blow Away" and the feelings that come out of his lyrics and his music, it just make me sound like a schoolboy. But you put a lot of meaning into your, your music as well. A song like I do. True Love.
What, what do you feel about True Well, that's Love? a good song. I still do that. It's one of the few songs I still do because I actually like it, you know, not in the same key. But um, So do you like yeah. You Weren't In Love With Me? Well, I'm going to do it on Friday night, and I tell you what, I, you know, I'll probably burst out into tears because it, it's worse. It's more painful to do that sort of song now than, than it ever was. You know, before it was probably just a little bit of a story, whereas now you really take it to heart, you know, when you get a bit older and more, um, I don't know, I've got more sentimental. You've grown into the song. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I don't like it for that reason, but anyway, I like it's all right. But it must give you, as I said, as an artist, some sort of satisfaction to know that someone like a, a Tim Friedman from the Whitlams or a Mick Fleetwood, or they look at your music and they go, yeah, I want to record that. That's a song that resonates with me. Well, of course, you know, Tim's terrific and I'm thrilled that he did it and he's a lovely fellow. And I don't know, I'm sort of, well, of course, it's always delightful when someone rings you, records one of your songs. It's flattering. But I mean, I'm hardly Bert Bacharach and Hal David, you know, at the, the end of the day, uh, you know, there's been a few people do my things and I like them and, you know, it's all just grist for the mill, really. The important thing is to, to be trying to create something that's special and, and it's the perseverance. You know, genius is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. And in my case, I'm lacking a lot of perspiration. This podcast, we'll be hearing a fair few of your songs throughout and, and again, showing your creativity. There was a song of yours, Goodbye to the Open Plains. It sounds like an amazing autobiographical journey. Some people could take 500 pages to write a book. You, you seem to put it in into a song that just, you know, it, yeah. it tugs on the heartstrings. Goodbye to the Open Plains is not about me. It's about anybody that gets trapped in their, in their culture and their circumstance. It's about people um, leaving all their loved ones behind to try and make something better for their life and... It's very hard, and, and that song sort of encapsulates all those sort of notions and a lot more, you know. I ain't had no education I ain't got no city friends Born and raised out on the station I grew up out on the plains But it's goodbye to the open plains Yes, it's goodbye to the open range Now I'm heading east to the city where my prospects play And it's goodbye to the open plain I got friends, they said this morning There's work in the shearing sheds out west I can't hear my daddy's warning You be sure until you're dead So it's goodbye to the old parade. 
sets goodbye to the old Yes, I'm heading east to the city where the prospects lay and it's goodbye to the open plane. The uh, the song True Love that we'd mentioned, it wasn't a, a massive hit as in as far as reaching a, a number one single for you again. But it reached number 17, and it stayed in the charts for 18 weeks. So, Did it? I didn't yeah. even know that. So it was a song that was obviously <clears throat> And I people... wouldn't have known. I, wouldn't, I don't even know now and, until you've just told me where it actually went to in the charts. I never even looked, and I don't care. But it, it goes the other way around. After that album, I did an album called Say Yes, which I'm so proud of, and uh, it hardly sold a copy. But, you know, I just think it's the most fantastic album. Said, I, I find it a beautiful album. And on that album, there's, there's another song that, that I really like, is No One's People. Yeah, beautiful song. I, I agree.
I always hoped that I could do that at my mother's funeral, but unfortunately I was so completely overwhelmed with grief, I wasn't able to do it. But my nephew, I have a nephew called Rennie Field who's just a fabulous, fabulous singer-songwriter. Um, he played some other things there, which was very nice. Well, as a musician, he must look up to you as Uncle Billy and go, wow. No, no, I, it's the other way around. I think he's <laughs> ten times greater than I. He, you know, he won a full musical scholarship to one of the best schools in Sydney because for his musical talent, he's very, very talented. Another song on the uh, the Say Yes album that, as, as you mentioned, I'll go back to, to Try Biology in a second, but um, another a song on uh, this album is Passing Thing. And it's a uh, it's a moody, brooding type song, and again, beautifully produced. Is that another song of yours that you you enjoy? Yeah, well, that's um that's not one of my favourites because I always <laughs> I always feel it came out as being something that was very Elton esque. Does it sounds very derivative to me? But um, yeah, it's kind, it's just kind of a nice little journey. Yeah, not necessarily great. thing that I'm going through It's a passing thing But you've got it tough And I would say life Begin again But then I realize This thing It's a passing thing, yeah, yeah. you got it tough. And I used to think we would go on, but now I realize this thing was wrong. Passing thing. Going through It's kind of crazy love Won't let it go Every time Every time You said you Would be mine For always And it wouldn't last As I mentioned before, your, your second album, so that was your third album, Say Yes, but your second album was Try Biology. And it was obviously a, a Warner's album, again, trying to follow the success of Bad Habits. Was it a, a very pressure-orientated time trying to come up with a, uh, a follow-up smash hit album, or did you just throw it all to the wind? Yeah, well, it was very quickly written and recorded, and it sort of sounds like it. In fact, it didn't have a lot of material on it either. It wasn't very long. Um but there was there was some nice moments there, but you know it was like a lot of albums at that time they were all kind of you know pumped out. 
Try biology is a bit of fun. I, I played that at a wedding recently. <laughs> the guy said, "Can you play?" Oh, well, I'm That's disappointed it wasn't a hit because you were you were having hit songs, and Andrew said it's a lot of a lot of fun as a song. It sort of bops away, and the film clip, the Try Biology, you look like you're having a bit of fun in the, in a, like a house party yeah, yeah. type situation. And to me, Try Biology um, sort of signified a bit of a change in you. All of a sudden, the the glasses had gone, um, and it looked like the you know, the record company was trying to, to doll you up a bit sort of thing. Was that a conscious decision or just something that happened organically? No, as I said, it was all done pretty pretty quickly and it, it wasn't really I, – I don't know. I can't even think of what tunes were on it because it's so long ago I can't quite remember. Um, I just remember that uh, that it was very quick and, you know, and wasn't probably wasn't very well written. But, you know, that's how it goes. Well, as I said, you got a song called True Love out of it, Try Biology, songs that, as you said, someone's someone's 30 years later, it's, it's struck a chord with them and they're still asking you to play it. So, mm. again, it's songs that mean something to people and I think that's what music's about. It's It doesn't have to be the uh, the most complicated piece of music. If it strikes a chord with someone and someone someone takes that song to their heart, mm. I think you've achieved something with with any sort of song. Here's a little tip for you Something everyone can do Try biology today Try biology Try biology It's the common business to be in you you did a TV special and uh, part of that TV special was uh, you were playing with a, a 20 to 30 piece orchestra the, the, the Jeff Harvey show band on the Channel 9 studios 
It was a massive success, this TV special. And two of the songs that really came out of it from that time, that, again, are synonymous with you, is Just a Gigolo. And uh, the other one was Let the Good Times Roll. Did you, you look like you're having fun doing this special? And it, it's a- Yeah, well, that Channel 9 was terrific, the way they put on a band and, hey, hey, it's Saturday, and they did the Jeff Harvey band, and Good Morning, I don't know, all those programs. I mean, Kerry Packer was terrific the way he he backed all those live TV shows and bands. And, um, and you know, it was a great band. I mean, they were all the, the best players. and But, I mean, they were way ahead of me. I just went in there and sort of did it as a bit of a cabaret thing just for fun. I'm just a gigolo, and everywhere I come, people know the fuck. I'm playing, paid for everything, selling this wrong thing, ooh, what to say, and there'll come a day, the juice will pass away, and what would they say about me, when the end comes, I know, just a gigolo, love goes on without me. I'm just a gigolo, everywhere I go, people know the fuck. I'm playing, paid for everything, selling each moment, ooh, what to say. And there'll come a day when you will pass away, and what would they say about me? When the end comes, I know they'll say just a gigolo, love goes on without me, because I ain't got no love. Oh, 
It's not very original, that stuff. I mean, it's it sort of comes from Louis Jordan, who's just one of the greatest artists of all time, in my opinion. So I just sort of did kind of copies of those songs, and um, but they were fun. I used to do them when I was playing live with my band with the horn section, and, uh, you know, they were all right. <laughs> they were all right. I, I didn't think they were ever going to get me back to Channel 9 after I jumped on the piano and, you know. <laughs> Did all that stupid? I don't know. Just seized the moment, I suppose, and was a bit silly. But um, um, yeah, I don't think they they like me. So I didn't damage it. I don't. Think. Well, <laughs> Jeff, they're worried I might next time. Yeah. Poor old Jeff. He had a lot of trouble with his piano. He had uh, he had you jumping all over it at one stage. A few years later, Ben Fold Five was playing it to the midday crowd, and he horrified the midday crowd by throwing the piano stool at the piano and and doing a bit of Jerry Lee li- oh, with his God. feet and. Uh, and yeah, Jeff came out afterwards, and it was a, it was a pretty famous sort of situation. So, did uh, Jeff have, any, have anything to say to you after oh, the camera no, he's stopped the rolling? Most lovely man, you know, he was always just great. I mean, virtually all these musicians and people you meet along the road are just wonderful. And no, he was always gorgeous, and so were all the guys in the band. And I feel very privileged to have you know been able to. I mean, I didn't at the time. At the time, it was to me just like going down to the bus stop and catching the bus to town. You know, I didn't think about any of that stuff. I just I just did it because I thought it'd be good for business. <laughs> you were living that life. And yeah, well, no, it, it wasn't just um, – I sort of took it for granted, which which I wouldn't today. But, you know, I, would, I mean, I didn't even practice before I went in and did any of these things. I just sort of really went and winged it. But, uh, but you know, at the same time, there was guys like Ricky May and really good people doing stuff there, and I wasn't never in that league, you know. I, just, I was just sort of playing a few tunes and just as if I was, you know, playing in the pub.
down. Got it down the corner and it's just around the clown. But don't let no female play men cheap. I got 50 cents more than I'm gonna keep. Well, let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. Well, let the good times roll. One of the, uh, I suppose, iconic uh, film clips from the Countdown era is you playing uh, the the white grand piano with Countdown written in black lettering oh, yeah. down the side. And, and I think you even uh, helped co-host Countdown at one stage. And h- how did you find lip syncing and, and that side of the performance? Did you struggle from that well, part of the... Well, you know, I, I, as I say, I didn't think about it and I didn't do it very well. <laughs> I was too, um, too naive to sort of take any of it too seriously and just sort of go through the motions and... Um, you know, and I wasn't wasn't very good at it either. I mean, it's people like Daryl Braithwaite were terrific. You know, Daryl would get up there, and apart from being just the greatest singer in Australia, he would um, get up and do all those shows. But I, I wasn't any good at introducing things or doing any of that because it's a, I'm, I'm live in another world to all that. I really do. More of an introvert than an extrovert. No, it just doesn't interest me all that stuff. You know, I'm not. I don't. I'm, I've never been a very good entertainer because I don't want to be an entertainer. I don't, I'm not. I'm not clever and witty and sharp, you know. I'm I'm a deep person and I think I'm a, a thinker and I I do a lot of study and research and I live in another world to all that. Your pleasure from music comes from creating music, not creating hit records. Well, I'm not opposed to any hit records either, <laughs> but I mean, um, yeah, the the joy is to create something good, and it, you know, if other people like it and if if it can be successful in any regard, that's that's all a bonus. But it, it's not to me what's critical. What's critical is that I look back on my work and say, well, I like that, I like that, I don't like that. You know, it's I, I'm, I guess I'm a bit of an artist. I live in a bit of another world. Well, the song of yours we mentioned, uh, just a gigolo, and it was put out as a single by David Lee Roth over in the state. Who was the uh, the lead singer of Van Halen and, and one of the biggest rock stars of the time with a song called Jump Out with Van Halen and and he put out a, his debut solo album. He left the band. It was is a big hullabaloo over in the states. So he leaves Van Halen and he he puts out his own solo album and and the the lead single on that is Just a Gigolo. But a, a song also on there is Baby I'm Easy, and this is written by you. So yeah. you've got David Lee Roth, one of the biggest stars. The, that album was uh, in the States, was one of the most anticipated albums of the time. Yeah. And your song's on that. It's- well, I always thought he, that um, I suspected, I don't really know, that, that he actually picked up a, a lot from what I was doing, you know, not just my songs, just the whole thing. And um, and great. He's, he's a fun guy. He's, he's terribly, terribly clever Some. I saw him in, interviewed on TV just purely by chance once, and and he said he says he said it's not whether you win or you lose. He said it's how you look. <laughs> you know, and it's it's very funny. He's quite you know. Anyway, I'm I'm thrilled that he he did any anybody does anything. You know. Again, it's a it's a testament to your music that someone in the states has this decided let's put this on this album. And- 
you've won plenty of awards. You've won APRA awards. You've won ARIA awards. You've done everything. But then on the other side of music, you were one of the creators of Paradise Studios. And Paradise Studios recorded anybody who's anybody of the Australian music industry, Midnight Oil, Cold Chisel, Air Supply, In Excess, Mental as Anything, Ice House, the list goes on. Air Supply, it's just, it doesn't end the people that came through uh, Paradise Studios. So apart from being a, a commercial successful musician, you were someone behind the scenes encouraging music on, on that side of the business as well. How did all this come about? Boy, that's a that's a whole nother interview because that's that was a, you know, Paradise was a big part of my life. Um, it was just a commercial recording studio, but it was pretty full on. It was going like 24 hours a day and, um, and there's some very big acts coming through. I mean, we even had Elton in there uh, once or twice. We had um, we had Michael Jackson booked in there at one stage. So studio was very successful because we had a lot of hits and um, we just had a had a good studio. And, and but but really, it was the people that came in there that made the hits. I mean, I didn't do anything. I was just basically um, making sure they had tea and coffee and uh, getting everything fixed all the time. And so anyway, there was a lot of great us, and it was very nice having the opportunity to meet a lot of them, have a cup of coffee with them and whatever, and, and nearly all, you know, 99.9% of them are just the most delightful people, and I feel very privileged to have had the chance to meet them. Well, I'm sure there would have been a professional respect to you as well. A lot of these guys were coming through, and you, you were someone who'd already made it. Yeah, it must have obviously been a, a successful part of your life. And did you did you play on many albums of, of these different people that came through? Were you ever yeah, a ever bit. a gun for hire? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I just um, I didn't spend that too much, you know, particularly a lot of time with with many of them. I spent a bit of time with Michael Hutchins. And the the guys in the band in um, Cold Chisel, you know, Don and and Phil, the bass player, and and the wonderful drummer who died, bless his heart. And I didn't spend much time with Ian Moss, but he's a lovely guy. He's quite quite a quiet guy, you know. It's interesting. And the drummer I played with a lot over the years, Hamish Stewart, played a lot with Ian Moss over the years. But you know, Don's a bit of fun. You know, Don and I are kind of songwriters. And um, Todd Hunter, you know, um, Mark Hunter's brother, he's he's a, he's a good guy. It's a bit of fun. So um, you know, I've met some interesting people. I, I'm trying to think who. Yeah, but. Um, I didn't hang out with the guys that were in the back because they were all in there working and I was doing my work and they were doing their work and, and we were all at it, you know, trying to create and produce things that, you know, might be successful, you know, so. Uh, but I actually struck up a good camaraderie with a lot of the Jingle guys because they're people like Terry Hannigan and the Mojo guys and G. Wayne Thomas and, and Les Gock and all those guys. So they did all the jingles. So we, we uh, went really hard to get that work because, you know, you need to keep the studio working to keep the doors open. Otherwise, you go broke. They cost a fortune to run those things. Yeah, and then we had the guys, some men at work in there and air supply, of course. They're still working all the time. That lovely Russell, I see him. We, we're friends on Facebook. And, you know, I... and. The, that Ice House record, that very first Ice House record that, um, and I don't really know Ivor very well because, you know, we didn't really cross paths, but it's that Can't Help Myself record. When I first helped, heard that record, another, oh my God, this cost the record company $3,000 to make this record, and I don't think they're going to get any money back from it, and I felt terrible. And it's and it's, it's a huge hit, you know, and uh, 
Great Southern Land, and that was that was a fabulous album. And then we made some lovely jazz records and film scores, Vince Jones, and um, but I can't remember remember them. all. I remember is that all the people that I crossed paths with there, I really really liked. We had the guys from um, you know Tim Finn and what what's his name Neil Finn, and they were split ends, and uh, yeah, they they made a few, quite a few records there actually, which cost a lot of money, but they they did. They did them. They got a producer over from from England, even you know. That guy is the same producer that p- produced um, Phil Collins' Face Value, and um, so you know, it's just all grist for the mill. You know, you just go through the process, and um, but you've had a career in music that spanned a lot longer than most inspiring musicians could ever hope to have. And as I said you've stamped yourself into the Australian music lexicon or the the history book. Your music is there, and it's it's never going anywhere, <laughs> whether you like it or not. People are going to listen to the songs that you've written and be transported on the, on these journeys of of songs that you've written. So it's something that you should be very proud of because it means something to people. And and as I said before, if it means something to people, it's you've you've achieved something anyway. Well, thank you, Jill. I, I don't think it's, I've done anything too great, but uh, I'm certainly just um, pressing on with my work. And, you know, perhaps when I get a bit older, I'll look back at it and say, well, you know, some of it was all right, you know. At the end of the day, it's the ideas, you know, it's it's having things to say that to me uh, uh, are good. You know, like you get a song like I, Me, Mine by uh, George Harrison, you know. It's just fantastic, you know, it's just genius about how egocentric people are and they don't put themselves in other people's shoes and, and you know, it's I, I, me, me, mine. It's everybody's just worried about themselves. And, and you know, these are really important things, you know, and um, so I hope that I can write a few songs as good as that. Well, a song that I, I think is is amazing of yours, it's got soulful lyrics, it's, it's upbeat music, it's got soulful lyrics, but it's about regret, if I could cut myself free. So committed and frank 
Yeah, well, that was off um, Western Light, which is another album I'm very proud of. I think that's that's a fantastic album. Didn't sell any copies, but um, yeah, I think that's a beautiful song. And uh, if any anybody wants to to get one of these albums, all these albums are still available. They're on BillyField.com. Well, thank you, Sean. Perhaps I could say in closing that we all uh, learn from each other. We all get ideas from each other. And um, if people have got an open mind, they can evolve and learn more and improve themselves and improve the human condition and help other people. And artists, you know, are are just one of the many people that can give people ideas to improve their lives and and the lives of other people and and the planet. Because artists sort of have a tendency to... uh, want to say something that's good. Um, politicians want to say things to get into back into office. You know, professionals want to say things to, you know, earn money so they, you know, keep their meal ticket or they've got, you know, they're running their professional practice or whatever. They've got to pay the bills or pay the children's school fees like everybody else. So artists, you know, have a tendency to sort of say, well, take money out of the equation. This is something that's got to be said. And so you've got to have something to say. But at the same time, it's it's also very valid to just say, you know, as Paul McCartney said, you know, you think the people who have heard enough of silly love songs, well, you know, here I go again, I love you, and the three most beautiful words you'll ever hear. That's a beautiful way to end the, uh, the chat, Billy. Thank you very much for your time, mate, and I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Billy. Here is a compilation of covers of Billy's song, You Weren't In Love With Me. The first, by the Mick Fleetwood Band, is the version that gave this song a massive international audience. Tim Friedman is one of Australia's most successful musicians of the last 20 years. With his band The Whitlams, he has carved out a wonderful career. Here he gives a modern spin on this classic song. Standing on the outside, I don't know where I'm going to. But I do know just one thing, and that is it's over with you. I could go on I was caught In memories Dreams I should have won Blind Freddy knew that Blind man could see I was in love with you But you weren't in love with me Pete Murray is another top-shelf Australian artist to do a version of You Weren't In Love With Me. Suppose I'll have to keep it, keep it inside I don't know why But I know that the world changes Baby, it helps if I cry 
Blind Freddy knew that Blind man could see I was in love with you But you aren't in love with me You know a song certainly has international legs when you get a Brazilian DJ putting a disco version out and heating up the nightclubs. In 2011, on the hugely successful television show Australian Idol, eventual third place getter Courtney Murphy released a version of You Weren't In Love With Me, giving the song a whole new generation of fans. Standing on the outside, I don't know where I'm going to, but I do know just one thing. Thank you for listening and thank you Billy Field and King Fox for the music. If you enjoyed the episode, please click subscribe and if you could leave a review or rating at iTunes, that would be unreal. If you have any guest requests or suggestions, you can email me at mycoast2 at bigpond.com. That's M-Y-C-O-A-S-T, the number two, at bigpond.com. Or like our Facebook page at All Australian Music Stories. I'd like to thank you again for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And until next time, hail, hail, Australian rock and roll. Hi, this is Molly. You've just listened to a podcast brought to you by Marcos Promotions. Written, produced and presented by my dad, Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid. This is Molly Kid saying to my good friend, Holly Kirsten, hit it girl. A 
Just stop and stare and I'll shout it out 